your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day when they are wrapping up the meeting of NATO nations. Wrapping it up with Sweden being welcomed into NATO and Ukraine, well, Ukraine having to wait. Uh, that was the decision of President Biden. President Biden gave uh, what for President Biden seemed to be a fairly forceful speech and uh, one that was reasonably well delivered. But he still has to answer to Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has introduced an amendment demanding that the president withdraw the United States from NATO because NATO is not a reliable partner, she says. Is she angling for the vice presidency? Well, all of a sudden, uh, we, there's a word from uh, Ron DeSantis about him not being interested in being vice president. And, and why would he be? I mean, obviously, being governor of Florida, Florida's the second largest state, is... Uh, Unless you really believe that uh, Joe Di Biden is a death's door, and, and in which case you're becoming vice president with... Uh, <laughs> but he wouldn't be vice president with Joe Biden, would he? No, not a chance. Because he can't be vice president with Trump because of the constitutional prohibition of two guys from the same state. And it's right there in the 12th Amendment. You can look at the beginning of the 12th Amendment and you'll be able to read it. And I can't believe that people covering the media are going through this idea of a Trump um, a DeSantis ticket, which is just constitutionally impossible if they actually want to win the presidency. Speaking of winning the presidency, the Wall Street Journal pushing a dark horse, you'll pardon the expression, candidate, uh, for the Republican nomination, saying, no, it's not necessarily going to be either Ron DeSantis, whose campaign, campaign continues to fumble, or it's going to be Donald Trump. Uh, there is another alternative. And what is it that Bill Goldston in the Wall Street Journal says makes that individual so viable all of a sudden? We will get to that. We'll also get to the Democratic attempt, which is very strong in certain states, particularly up in Vermont. They have enough problems with the flooding up there. But uh, they also uh, want and passed a bill in the state legislature, which was vetoed by the Republican governor, thank God. But in Vermont, they passed a bill to lower the voting age for local elections to 16. Is that a good idea, or is it a better idea to follow the recommendation of presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, who says that we should raise the voting age to 25? which is pretty dramatic to go from 18 to 25. There would be exceptions where you could vote as young as uh, 18, but those exceptions involve things like national service or taking a citizenship exam. Uh, we will get to all of that on the Michael Medved Show. And uh, complaints about uh, Joe Biden's looking old and feeble, where the complainants are not blaming Joe Biden. Who do they blame? Uh, we will get to that. And then a, um, uh, a call from a leading media figure 
that the United States needs a robust defense, needs someone speaking out for the fact that America is vital and uh, virile and uh, successful and uh, stop running down Uncle Sam. Who says so and who's going to provide that robust defense? We will get to that also on a busy day on the Medved Show. Uh, First of all, there was President Biden speaking in Lithuania today at the conclusion of the NATO summit. And some of the imagery from the NATO summit with Biden together with other world leaders. Look, there are a lot of fairly interesting and impressive people who are leading various countries in NATO right now. I mean, uh, Olaf Scholz, the new chancellor of Germany, replacing Angela Merkel, is a compelling figure. Macron is a compelling figure in France. Uh, You have uh, all of the Baltic states. You have leaders who are are fairly formidable. And uh, seeing them all standing together and uh, uh, all basically committing themselves to uh, responding effectively to Vladimir Putin's brutal and obscene and disgusting and dictatorial move to attack uh, Ukraine and to snuff out its independence and freedom. Uh, President Biden spoke about this and about the determination of the now 31 officially NATO nations to stand together and to stand firm against Russian imperialism. This is a President Biden just uh, hours ago. Clip four. We will not waver. We will not waver. I mean that. Our commitment to Ukraine will not weaken. We will stand for liberty and freedom today, tomorrow, and for as long as it takes. We all want this war to end on just terms, terms that uphold the basic principles of the United Nations Charter that we all signed up to, sovereignty, territorial integrity. These are two pillars of peaceful relations among nations. One country cannot be allowed to seize its neighbor's territory by force. Russia could end this war tomorrow by withdrawing its forces from Ukraine wrecking his international borders and ceasing his attacks on it, his inhumane attacks on Russia, I mean, by Russia on Ukraine. Uh, that uh, he went on uh, to talk about the defense of freedom as a vocation. Uh, that's clip 20. The defense of freedom is not the work of a day or a year. It's the calling of our lifetime, of all time. We are still for the struggle ahead. Our unity will not falter, I promise you. Folks, as I look around the world today at a moment of war and peril, a moment of competition and uncertainty, I also see a moment of unprecedented opportunity, unprecedented opportunity, opportunity to make real strides for the world of greater peace and greater prosperity liberty and dignity, equal justice under the law, human rights and fundamental freedoms, which are the blessing and birthright of all of humanity. That, that is the world the United States is working toward. And it's one 
will only reach if we do it together. And I mean together. We need to take the same spirit of unity, common purpose, determination that we've demonstrated in our response to Russian aggression in Ukraine and bring more partners along as we continue working to build a world we want to live in and a world we want for our children. The President Biden speaking from uh, Lithuania, from Vilnius, where he is there for the NATO conference. The one thing you can say is that he does sound like he cares about this issue. Uh, there is, uh, and he does not seem quite as confused or lost uh, or unfocused as he does when he speaks about other things. And uh, what's peculiar is that they didn't arrange for this speech to be in a uh, setting where more Americans would actually hear it. Uh, so what does Zelensky say? Is he still angry, as he appeared to be, because uh, there is no immediate move to admit uh, Ukraine to NATO? And what about Marjorie Taylor Greene? Is she a serious possibility for vice president on a Trump ticket? People say so. Uh, we will get to her position uh, about leaving NATO and more coming up on the Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, there is one uh, bit of polling data. And yeah, we talk a lot about polls because it's the only way, except when people actually vote, uh, to understand what our fellow Americans are thinking. But uh, there was recently a YouGov poll. They do this every year. Actually, it was a Gallup poll, pardon me, where they asked if you... Uh, believe that various countries are better described as an enemy or an ally. And uh, when it came to Russia, there were 11% who thought they were an ally. <laughs> I don't know who those people are. I don't know, maybe uh, uh, maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's pro-Putin. But uh, leaving her aside, there are not many Americans who believe that Russia is an ally. By the way, if you're one, uh, give us a call. I would love to hear from you, give you a chance to speak, and you'll explain why you think Russia is an ally. 1-800-955-1776 uh, is our phone number. I, this is a, a challenge, and... I'm just fascinated that uh, the poll showed that 83% of Americans think that Russia is an enemy right now. And what that's an indication of is that most people believe that uh, the, the war, uh, as it's going on, is important for the United States. And it's important that we not lose the war. And uh, uh, that, uh, uh, yes, third... Uh, this just came in as the war in Ukraine intensifies. Half of Americans say either uh, that the United States is providing the right amount of aid or not enough assistance. Uh, 31% say we're, we're pre 
uh, giving the right amount of aid, and there's 16% who think we're giving not enough assistance to Ukraine. Uh, that compares with 28% who say the U.S. is giving too much support to Ukraine. Uh, so it's it's overwhelming as a matter of public sentiment. And uh, Zelensky reiterated uh, at when he was in Vilnius uh, how much he wants and hopes that uh, when this fighting concludes that Ukraine will be part of NATO. This is clip nine. So I would like to have a success on this summit for everyone, for our soldiers, for our citizens, for our children, for everyone. We can state that the results of the summit are good, but should we receive an invitation, they would be the, the optimum. Uh, the results of the summit are good. That would be even better, optimum, as he puts it, uh, if, if they are welcomed into NATO. Not yet. Uh, the National Security Council, John Kirby, was on MSNBC speaking about Zelensky's desire for his country to be part of NATO and uh, had this to say, which is the U.S. position, uh, clip 11. Uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine criticized NATO's uncertainty and weakness over his country's possible membership in NATO. He says it needs to happen. He said this only emboldens Russia to not include Ukraine in NATO. What's your reaction to that? Well, look, we've already said that uh, Ukraine's place in the future is going to be in the alliance at some point. They've got some reforms they've got to work out, rule of law, governance, good governance, uh, political reforms that need to be done, and they're at war right now. And so the focus for President Biden is making sure they have what they need to be successful on the battlefield, including, as we've been talking about with Mike earlier, these cluster munitions. We're trying to make sure that they can succeed on the battlefield so that they can find a peace and they can recover their territorial integrity. Eventually, yes, NATO will be in the... Uh, in the forefront for them, but but now's not the time for that. And even now at Vilnius, the Ukrainians will find the alliance united in supporting two things. One, security commitments for them in the long term, when the war is over, making sure that they can continue to defend themselves. And two, providing a path forward so that they can eventually get NATO membership. And this uh, appears to be the administration position, which was relatively well accepted by President Zelensky and by all of the participants of the NATO conference. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene not accepting that at all. In fact, she not only doesn't care about Ukraine being part of NATO, she doesn't want the U.S. to be part of NATO. Uh, here is the congresswoman, Republican, from uh, the state of Georgia, uh, clip six. Amendment number six directs the president to withdraw the U.S. from NATO. My amendment would direct the president withdrawal from NATO. They are not a reliable partner whose defense spending should be paid for by American citizens. For the better part of the last decade, Germany has contributed only around 1% of its GDP to finance NATO obligations, while the United States is paying around 4% of our GDP to defend NATO countries. The United States has been financing and promising to defend NATO countries for decades and paying more than its fair share. Western European countries could and should be stepping up their financial contributions to ensure the security of NATO. Instead, they are entirely beholden to Russia and the U.S. taxpayer is expected to foot the bill.
Amendment number 110 prohibits the provision of F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. My amendment would prohibit the U.S. from sending F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. Providing F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine will not only deplete our own fighter fleet, but it will escalate the proxy war with Russia, which is a nuclear power, rather than implementing diplomatic solutions. Okay, di di diplomatic solutions are unfortunately not at hand. She's also completely wrong with her statistics that she is giving. And, and it's very important people understand this. When people talk about uh, spending uh, 4% uh, to support NATO countries, we don't. Our total defense budget, which is what we spend on the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, is 2.7% of GDP. It's historically very low. It's not 4%. And this whole idea of getting the NATO countries to spend more, it's not to send money to NATO. It's to spend more on their own defense and to use their own defense resources. And there has been a huge increase, uh, particularly with Germany. And the other side of the world, Japan, is, is also uh, doing much better. But there are other NATO countries that uh, uh, have greatly increased their spending. Poland, uh, the Baltic nations, Romania, uh, smaller nations, Slovakia, which is a nation of five million, has been sending equipment to Ukraine. This is one of those things that seems to be uniting the entire world other than Marjorie Taylor Greene. And uh, meanwhile, who is the uh, one guy who could pull an upset, says uh, Bill Galston. And uh, it's an upset that would begin in Iowa. Well, that's where everything does appear to begin. It's January 15th that they are uh, holding the Iowa caucuses. August 23rd, the first uh, GOP debates. Trump won't be there. Uh, what about the debates Friday? Will he end up showing up at those debates in Iowa? We'll get to that and to much more coming up on the MedVet Show. All across America, this is the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, one of the characteristics of the Republican race for the presidency so far has been uh, the reluctance of most candidates who are not named uh, Chris Christie uh, or not named Asa Hutchinson a little bit less effectively than Chris Christie. Chris Christie's been going after Trump. I mean, he clearly does not think that Trump should be president of the United States. He thinks he should be president of the United States. Uh, but the other leading candidates have, have not been particularly aggressive in going after Trump. But on this issue of Ukraine, I think... Uh, there are major candidates sensing that public opinion is with them, and I think it is. D does anybody out there really believe President Trump when he says repeatedly and again and again and again and again that he could end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours? I mean, the only way he can end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours is by instantly surrendering and basically uh, uh, telling uh, Putin that, uh, okay, I'll hold off, we're going to cut off all aid to Ukraine, 
and uh, and and then we're going to have a, a, an end to the fighting because you will have won what you want. And would that be a good idea for the United States? Nikki Haley uh, on Fox News, which is for reasons that are very complex. Now, President Trump's least favorite network, he says. Uh, Haley was on Fox News, and uh, she gave her verdict on that idea that Trump could end the Ukraine war in a single day. Here's the former U.N. ambassador and former South uh, Carolina governor, Nikki Haley, clip seven. I think it's ridiculous. He knows that he can't end the war in a day. Everybody else knows he can't end the war in the day. He says these crazy things. It's not true. We've got a realistic situation on our hands. The way we end the war is to get Putin out. It's not to appease Putin. The way we end the war is to be strong and work on our alliance. When I worked on dealing with Iran at the United Nations, or when we focused on dealing with Russia with Syria, when we had to negotiate with the Security Council on getting the largest sanctions against a country in a generation with North Korea, we didn't do it from a point of weakness. We did it with a point of strength. And it wasn't just strength from the U.S. I had to strengthen the spines of the Europeans, of our friends in NATO, to let them know our goal is to prevent war. The only way you prevent war is with strength. And you have to take these dictators on. You don't run from them. And that's what Biden has done every step of the way. He's run from Putin. That's what's dragged out this war for so long. Let's end this war, get Putin out. We can't sit there and run scared of every dictator or else they're going to keep on running all over us. Uh, effective? I, I think she is. I think she is basically right. I'm not sure that it should be a war goal to get Putin out, but it might be uh, an impact of the war. But as an announced uh, goal, regime change, uh, not in Russia. Mike Pence also spoke well on this issue. He uh, uh, talked uh, about it on clip 9.5. The only way you could end... Uh, the war in Ukraine in 24 hours would be by giving Vladimir Putin what he wants. Uh, and that's the last thing uh, the United States should ever call upon Ukraine to do. Look, I, I think this war uh, in Ukraine matters to the national interests of the United States for a couple reasons. Chief among them is that uh, by giving Ukraine what they need to fight and repel the Russian invasion, we're going to prevent that Russian military, if they overran Ukraine, from crossing a border where under our NATO agreement we would have to send our armed forces into harm's way. I think it's important, just like Ronald Reagan said back in 1985, he said, if you're willing to fight our enemies on your soil, we'll give you the means to fight them there so our men and women don't have to fight them. But this is also about China, Caitlin, and we don't talk about that enough. Look, I, I've met Vladimir Putin. I've, I've met President Xi. I promise you that China is watching very closely to how the United States and our Western allies respond in Ukraine. And with their military provocations continuing in the Asia-Pacific, I think there's no more effective message to, con to restrain China's military ambitions in the Asia-Pacific, specifically toward Taiwan, than giving Ukraine what they need to repel that act uh, of unprovoked Russian aggression in Ukraine. Okay, look, I am encouraged to hear two different uh, candidates for president, for the Republican nomination for president, uh, both uh, Governor Haley and uh, Vice President Pence, uh, speaking sensibly about that issue in uh, Ukraine. And uh, in terms of 
alternatives to DeSantis and Trump, which is basically all you've been hearing about. Uh, there's a piece by Bill Galston today in the Wall Street Journal, which I had mentioned, that um, uh, runs under the headline, Could Tim Scott Pull an Upset? And Galston begins by talking about a long ago a primary election, way back in 1984, where it was considered a, an absolute lock for Walter Mondale. He was a former vice president. He was running now to challenge Ronald Reagan. Uh, he had been vice president immediately before with Jimmy Carter. And uh, uh, then he uh, did uh, a, a sort of an underwhelming performance in Iowa. And uh, there was a shock because Gary Hart, who was a senator from Colorado, beat him and beat him big time in New Hampshire. And uh, what he says, can anyone pull off a New Hampshire surprise in 2024? My money, says uh, Bill Galston, is on South Carolina's junior senator Tim Scott. His affable presence makes him likable on the stump. He has avoided serious mistakes, and he has a compelling life story as an African-American who rose from humble beginnings from cotton to Congress, he often says. He uses his story to show that America is a country that offers opportunity for all, a message to which most Republicans respond. And by supporting Mr. Scott, Republicans can push back against the charge that their party has been taken over by racist dog whistlers, a charge that a majority of independents accept according to a survey by the Public Religion Research Institute. Mr. Scott can distinguish himself from Mr. Trump without having to challenge the former president on his character or record. These latent strengths won't be activated, however, unless Mr. Scott stages an early surprise. If he can beat Mr. DeSantis for second place in Iowa, assuming that Trump wins in Iowa, he would have a chance to do even better in New Hampshire. With no serious Democratic contest, most independents will participate in the GOP primary, and Mr. Scott could do well with them. As my colleague Elaine Carmack uh, has pointed out, some Trump sympathizers might vote in the Democratic contest to support Robert F. Kennedy, improving Mr. Scott's chances among Republicans. After New Hampshire come South Carolina, where a home state win could propel Mr. Scott to front-runner status, especially if most other defeated Republicans leave the race and endorse him, as most Democrats did in 2020 after Mr. Biden's South Carolina victory. Uh, does this sound entirely credible? Well, it's certainly wish fulfillment. There's a uh, a new ad which we'll play for you, uh, a, a Tim Scott ad in Iowa that shows how he could do well, finishing second, for instance, in Iowa, at least. Uh, listen, this is clip 12. We will get to it uh, coming up on The Medved Show. Uh, and uh, we'll also be talking about the tribal wars that have been going on in the Republican Party and uh, could still determine what happens in this election. Where is Trump a, a likely nominee? He is. But is he a sure thing? 
not by a long shot, says Patrick Ruffini. We'll be talking to him coming up on the Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show, all across America. I really enjoy your program. I listen to talk radio all day. You're definitely right up there, the cream of the crop. This is the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, um, mentioned a brand new Tim Scott ad. And uh, Senator Scott is one of the candidates who has been most successful in fundraising. Uh, more successful than Nikki Haley, his fellow South Carolinian. Uh, more successful than any of the candidates other than uh, DeSantis, who has was able to transfer $80 million from his gubernatorial uh, fund. Uh, that the money he had raised to uh, get reelected as governor of Florida, and that's been transferred over. So he has more cash on hand than anybody, uh, other than President Trump, of course, who has a super PAC, who has all kinds of uh, fundraising strengths, which actually um, we we can talk about a little bit. But in any event, he Tim Scott has been using his ads to uh, try to compete in Iowa and New Hampshire, which he has to do. Because if he's going to uh, emerge as one of the front runners, one of the serious contenders, he's going to have to do it in those two states. And uh, here is the ad that is aimed at Iowa, where you remember a, a great many of the Republicans in particular in Iowa are evangelical Christians. And he's clearly appealing to a faith-based constituency in uh, this clip 12. Our country is founded upon a Judeo-Christian rock. Our rights don't come from a government. They're unalienable. They come from a creator. What's missing in our public life so often are the values embedded in the gospel. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. If we want a better America, I think it starts with faith in God and faith in each other. We must preserve the ability to worship as we see fit. I'm Tim Scott, and I approve this message. And uh, that's uh, one of the messages that he is sending. They're having a um, major uh, get-together coming up um, uh, in in Iowa that uh, Trump is not attending. And uh, there's a piece in the New York Times uh, under the heading, Picking Fights in Iowa, Trump Risks Alienating Potential Allies for 2024 Caucuses, which is an indication that it might be uh, not just a gimme automatic win for Donald Trump. He didn't win the Iowa caucuses eight years ago. Uh, Ted Cruz did. And uh, uh, here's, here's what the piece by Shane Goldmacher says in the New York Times. Iowa may be the most important state on Donald J. Trump's early 2024 political calendar, but he hasn't been making many friends here lately. He lashed out at uh, Iowa's popular Republican governor, Kim Reynolds, and then his campaign informed one of the state's politically influential evangelical leaders, Bob Vanderplatz, that the former president would skip a gathering of presidential candidates this week in Des Moines. The uh, back-to-back moves yesterday, uh, which the campaign of Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida labeled a snub of Iowa conservatives in an email on Tuesday. 
uh, show the extent to which Mr. Trump, the front runner for the Republican nomination, acts as if he is immune to traditional political pitfalls while he is also under indictment and his rivals are seeking to capitalize on some voters' fatigue with his antics. Uh, the um, With Trump's personality, I feel he thinks he owns Iowa, said Steve Bonder, a board member of the Family Leader. That's the conservative Christian group organizing the event on Friday that Mr. Trump is skipping. And I'm not sure he does own Iowa. I think Trump's negativity is hurting things a little bit, added Mr. Bonder, who remains unaligned for 2024. Um it is not surprising that Mr. Trump will skip the family leader gathering. He has generally avoided these cattle calls uh, events, which feature all the candidates as advisors see such uh, settings as lowering him to the level of his far-behind opponents. In addition, Mr. Vanderplatz has made no secret of his desire to move past Mr. Trump, including traveling to Tallahassee to have lunch with uh, Mr. DeSantis in the governor's mansion. I think there's no doubt, most likely, I will not endorse him, Mr. Vanderplatz said of Mr. Trump. So he believes if he shows up and I don't endorse him, that will make him look weak. But as a result, he said, Mr. Trump was missing out on speaking to an estimated audience of 2,000, and many of those people still love him dearly. Uh, he also, President Trump had posted this about Governor Kim Reynolds, who's a terrific governor, by the way. And she had been widely talked about as a potential vice president for President Trump, but not when he writes about her this way. He sent out a, a truth social on uh, Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa. He says, I opened up the governor position for Kim Reynolds. And when she fell behind, I endorsed her, and he has endorsed in capitals, uh, did big rallies, and she won. Mr. Trump wrote on uh, Truth Social, he's referring to her 2018 race. Now she wants to remain neutral. I don't invite her to events. Uh, okay, um, what, what she's talking about, uh, uh, opening up the governor's position for her, uh, uh, governor Branstad was the governor of Iowa, and Trump appointed him ambassador to China. And in that sense, it opened up the uh, position as uh, the governor of Iowa uh, for uh, Kim Reynolds, who's done a fine job and, by the way, uh, would be, it seems to me, a strong running mate for oh any number of potential candidates uh, other than Donald Trump. Uh, the Family Leader event, uh, which is expected to feature Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Nikki Haley, and former Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. That's a pretty good lineup when you look at that that has most of the serious candidates and the fact that President Trump is uh, turning it down could be one of those foolish moves like uh, President Biden's insistence not to have his name on the ballot in New Hampshire, not to have his name on the ballot in uh, Iowa, uh, because he's insisting uh, that uh, South Carolina should go first. And 
again, to have any possible chance of uh, the president of the United States having a real race for the nomination, uh, well, it, it, it could happen if Robert Kennedy Jr. gets uh, a substantial vote and that pushes somebody else into the race. Uh, somebody like a Gretchen Whitmer of um, the governor of Michigan or Gavin Newsom, governor of Arizona, who knows. The uh, Real Clear Politics average for what's going on right now in uh, uh, in Iowa, uh, it shows Trump with 47.7% big lead. Uh, he's literally double what DeSantis has at 23.7. Uh, Haley at 4.0. Uh, Tim Scott at 3.7. Uh, Mike Pence at 3.3. And the point about all of this is that when you actually look at the history of Iowa caucuses, uh, there have been many occasions where people with dominating leads, like at, at one point, Jeb Bush had a dominating lead in 2016, and that was before Trump had come down the uh, the uh, escalator and, uh, and and gone ahead and announced his campaign. Uh, by the way, here, let me get to an email that came in about what we were talking about. This came in from David, and he says, uh, Michael, did you ever stop to think uh, that Re Representative Taylor Green is accurately and faithfully representing her constituents? How is having their tax dollars being spent in Eastern Europe instead of improving life in their backyard considered worth it to individuals in rural Georgia. Don't give me the it's the right thing to do because you and I both know that this is the equivalent to the Iran-Iraq war in the 80s with Zelensky being Saddam Hussein and Putin being Khomeini. Uh, I'm sorry, David, you say we both know that? No, I don't know that. I don't think that's a... I don't think that's a decent... Uh, <laughs> A decent analogy at all uh, and, and again you're talking about genocidal regimes two of them with the Iran-Iraq war uh, Ukraine is not that uh, Ukraine uh, and the reason it is being supported really by the whole world is because there is a difference and the future of US security depends on it and we'll get to more Coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth.